You're listening to the Prayer Storm Podcast. We pray that this teaching blesses you, challenges you, and equips you, leaving you ignited for all that God has for you. Don't forget to check out James Ladderin's book, Life on Fire, which is out now. You can find this and more at prayerstorm.org, or you can click the link in the description below. It's great to be with you. My first time here, and I love it already. <laughs> I was driving here, and I was like, gosh, there's like churches everywhere. <laughs> it's like every turn there's a church. It's like, wow, I guess I'm in the south. <laughs> Well, my name is James Aladaran, and I bring you greetings from Manchester. I live in Manchester, and uh, I've lived there since 2001. My parents are missionaries, and so moved to Manchester uh, from Nigeria, because my dad is from Nigeria. I was born in Liberia. My mom is from Ghana. My wife is from Manchester. So um, I've got three kids, a nine-year-old, a two-year-old, and a four-month-old. Yay! <laughs> so, life is pretty intense, as you can imagine. So, it's so good to be with you. I've just been down with Jeremiah Johnson over the last weekend. I've had an incredible time, still recovering from that, and I'm here now. So, uh, I'm going to, because we don't have a lot of time, I want to go straight into the Word. So, if you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to Acts 2. And uh, as I was praying about uh, today and the session and what the Lord might have me uh, uh, share with you, um, I just want to start by saying I really get a strong sense that there is a lot more the Lord has for you as a church in this region. Thank you for the amen. <laughs> but you know, when God starts to call you and when God starts to give you a vision of what He has for you, that vision puts responsibility, spiritual responsibility on you. Um, and that's something that many believers don't really lean into uh, uh, too much. So we like to see the people on the platform as the ones that have the responsibility. For example, if Pastor Mark, or should we say Bishop Mark, <laughs> I was saying, should I call you Bishop? He said, no, no, no. Anyway, so if Pastor Mark were to say to you, let's just imagine, I'm just going to pick someone at random. What's your name? Taylor. 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 So let's just imagine Pastor Mark said to you, Taylor, um, after this service, he just said to you, Taylor, there's an evening service, and you're going to be preaching. Um, <laughs> now, now let's, let's imagine you didn't have that in your mind at all, and you just heard that at the end of this service. I guarantee you, Taylor, you're not going to leave this service and go home and watch TV and watch Disney Plus and, you know, watch your latest whatever you've been wanting to catch up on. Because the moment you hear those words, you're going to go, oh, my goodness, Lord, help me. Father, what are you saying? You're going to go home and you're going to get in the Bible. You're going to want to pray and say, Lord, please give me something to say. Is that right? Is that a fair point to make? I think so. Well, I would. <laughs> Taylor's like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The point I'm trying to make is, without Pastor Mark asking you, you don't feel that weight. But the moment he asks you, what happens is, if you receive the request, what hits you is spiritual responsibility. And that responsibility demands response in your actions. Now, what you need to realize is, as far as God is concerned, you already have spiritual responsibility. Right. 
Without a microphone, you already have that responsibility. But many of us are now leaning in to what he's requiring of us to carry what he's about to release. And as I walked on these premises and I stepped into this place, I just get a sense that there is still more the Lord is calling you to as a church. And the responsibility is not going to rest on just the pastor. It's a collective responsibility to carry something that the Lord wants to release more of in this region. And that responsibility is going to affect your diet. It's going to affect how you spend your money and how you spend your time. Because God is not just concerned about you coming to Sunday service. That's great. He's more concerned about what happens after the service. Because this is the easy part. (laughs) Monday to Friday and how you spend your time, your money, your energy. Okay, when you wake up on Monday and the Lord says to you, as you open the fridge, fast. That's when you know whether you're really wanting to lean into spiritual responsibility or you're more concerned about self-preservation. Because when God calls you, he puts a demand on your life. For example, you know, uh, uh, you know, Luengo is a spiritual father, and he says this, and it's just impacted me over the years. When God has a special mission, he puts a demand on a life for a special lifestyle. So there's a lifestyle requirement for what God wants to do. So I want to show you through the scriptures some of the things, one of the things I believe is very key in this time the Lord wants you as a church to lean into more than ever. It's been said, you go to church on a Sunday morning, you find out how popular the church is. So you're quite popular. (laughs) Sunday evening, if there's an evening service, you find out how popular the pastor is. Prayer meeting day, you, you find out how popular God is. And it's so clear in the Western church that prayer meetings are not that popular, or perhaps maybe God is not that popular. Because we will so easily run to even a Christian concert and pack it out. But even our prayer meetings, you know, we're like, oh, you know what, we're not that engaged at the heart level. And I want to say to you, the things that God wants to do, there is no other way that He's going to do it apart from stirring in the church a real hunger to seek His face. And there are three things I want to highlight this morning that I believe the Lord is wanting to speak to you as a church in preparation for what He wants to do. Acts 2, it says, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house. And most of us who know the story, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want to pick out one point from that. When the day came, the day found them together. The day found them in one accord. So something about them being not just physically together, but at a heart level together was critical for what God was about to do. See, you you, you cannot underestimate the power of real unity. When I say unity, not just the word where it's like, oh yeah, you know, we're united in Christ and we just dislike each other or we tolerate each other. 
but we come together and we sing to the Lord. Lord, we love you, Lord. We honor you. We're singing these songs to the Lord, but right here, you over there might be upset with the person over there. You're falling out with this person over here. This one is jealous about that one over there. This one is upset about this over here, and we're all singing, Lord, we love you. Do you understand that our worship is ascending, but it's contaminated? Because we don't love each other. In fact, a proof of your love for God is how you love the other person next to you. Right? So God is not just after lip service. He's looking for something that's deep at a heart level where we love each other. So the day of Pentecost came on the back of about 10 days of prayer. They'd been praying together. And I love to say, you know, because uh, in, in the UK, we see in the rise of Islam in, in, in terms of just, um, let's not go into the details. I might get in trouble. So we're seeing the rise of Islam. However, I like to point to my Christian brothers and sisters that in Islam, they don't have a prayer meeting. They have a prayer culture. We have a prayer meeting. Prayer is powerful whatever kingdom you're in. Do you realize this? If you're in the kingdom of darkness, when you pray or when you engage, because prayer is you engage with spiritual realities in both kingdoms. So if on the dark side they're giving themselves engaging in darkness and uh, you know, with spiritual powers of darkness, and on the light side, we're just going to prayer meetings when we want to, when we feel like it. Whoever is more invested in whatever kingdom has spiritual dominance in the atmosphere. So they have a prayer culture, we have a prayer meeting. So we've got a shift to a prayer culture. The early church before the day of Pentecost, they had a prayer culture. See, their prayer meeting had a start time, but no end time. Have you been to such a prayer meeting? (laughs) Jesus says, wait until. So he didn't say wait for two hours and then back up. You know, he said, pray for two hours. And if 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 the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, just, just give up and just chill. You know, they had no plan B. See, this is one of the problems in the Western church. We always have our plan B. In fact, many of our churches in the West can carry on without the Holy Spirit, and no one even notices it's, it's not there. Because we're so used to doing church, we can get this machine going without him showing up, and no one seems to care that the one this is about is not even pleased. I was saying at the other service we had the other week, if the Holy Spirit is grieved in a service, and you're in that service, and you don't know he's grieved. It's a sign that you're not living in close proximity to him. So we can do stuff that's disconnected from the heart of God and just carry on with this machinery. The early church gave themselves to a culture of prayer. And in that culture, one of the key ingredients was unity. Because we can't have an effective prayer meeting if we're not united at a heart level. Unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean that you talk like me, you pray like me, you dress like me, you act like me, and you do everything the way I do it. No. In unity, there's revelation of identity. So in unity, we don't all have to look the same and talk the same, but we all have to be secure in who God has made us. So I am naturally animated and I might be loud, but that is me. God has given me this personality for a reason. 
you may not be like me, but that's okay. The problem is, when I see you watching football, and you're going all animated about that, and we come into church, and you're all like a frozen chicken, there's something wrong with that picture. God has given your personality for a reason. Your spirituality should find its expression through your personality. Abraham prayed differently to Elijah. They were very different people. When Abraham was interceding, it actually sounded like he was bargaining with God. Give me 50, give me 40, give me 30. On the other hand, Elijah is interceding. He puts his head between his knees. He's groaning. They're both men of God. Different personalities, but God works through that. So the point is not you trying to be like me and me trying to be like you. It's me discovering who God has made me. And through the personality has given me, I'm able to express my love, my heart, my devotion to God. So if you're going to be crazy about football, it tells me there is crazy in you for God. Why should football have it? Why should football have it? So you come to church and we're going to worship, but you don't have any expression. It means you've been shot down. Something is stopping you from being you in God. So when we come together, it means we're not really having real unity because you haven't found yourself. I do play the keyboard and even the instrument. I don't play all the instruments, but simple idea, chord. When you play a chord, a chord is made up of several notes. Let's just say you play the C chord. You have the C, the E, and the G. Okay, the C note has a different frequency to the E note. The E note has a different frequency to the G note. And what makes them sound nice is you play them together, right? When you play them together, listen, they are in one accord. So you have a chord. <laughs> now listen, the C note is not complaining to God about the fact that its frequency is different to the G note. The E note is not feeling insecure about the fact that it doesn't sound like the G note. What makes them powerful and sound good is that each note is secure in its own unique identity. And then when they come together, they're able to release a powerful sound. Unity is about you knowing who you are in God, you knowing who you are in God, and I know you're not me, and I'm not you, but we can come together, bring our differences of expression, all for the sake of seeking God. And when we come together at that level, we're able to release an, a, a sound that's able to pierce through the heavens, because oftentimes the sound we release lacks authority, because we don't have unity. Because we have insecurities, because we, we lack a revelation of identity. Yes. Are, are you tracking with me? Yes. God is calling us to a place of prayer where each person has found themselves in God, and we can come together, celebrate the differences, but all know that we are all seeking God. We honor one another, but most of all, we're honoring God. That space creates an atmosphere for supernatural things to break in. On the day of Pentecost, when the day had fully come, the day found them together in a location. See, that's so key. The corporate gatherings. 
corporate prayer meetings. This is how the church started. The early church started with corporate prayer meetings. Uh, Jesus knew that it was important that the early church got together. There's some things that wouldn't happen until we come together. Have you noticed we're not called the body of Jesus? We're called what? The body of? The body of what? We're not called the body of Jesus. We're called the body of Christ for a reason. Because the person, Jesus, he has an actual body right now in heaven with nail prints in it. The same body that walked this planet, right? It's now glorified and supernatural, can walk through walls, but it's still a body. We're not that body. We're the body of Christ. And Christ speaks of the fullness of the anointing. So there is a dimension of the anointing that we can only step into when we come together that you can't have on your own. So the, 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 the early church, it wasn't something where, you know, only the apostles got together. The whole church got together and they had to seek God consistently. And each person was securing who God had called them to be. They didn't know what was about to happen. But the corporate prayer meeting was so important. And God birthed the church through a prayer meeting. The move of God on the earth right now that we call the church was birthed through a corporate prayer meeting. Listen, Jesus started the church how he wants it. Now he wants the church how he started it. We're going to have to get together more often with the right heart of connectedness to one another in unity. So that's point one. The church got together in unity. Point two we see in Acts 4, and I don't know if we have time to look at it. I'm just going to make reference to it. In Acts 4, the church was threatened. Well, the apostles were threatened, and so they got together. You know what? Let's just turn there. Acts 4. Acts 4.23. So, the leaders of the day threatened the apostles not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And, you know, they go into all this trouble because of the miracles that were taking place and the crowds they were drawing and all this stuff. So, in the midst of all this oppression and all this kind of uh, intimidation from the leaders, the apostles got together with the church. And we read this in Acts 4.23. It says, And being let go... They went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Verse 24. So when they heard that, so this is referring to the whole, I guess, the company of believers. When they heard these, uh, the reports, it says, they raised their voice to God in one accord. And then we go on to read the prayer, which I'm not going to read. You can read that later if you want to. Uh, the point I'm really wanting to make is the fact that they were threatened, and so they got together. This is one of the first times, apart from Acts 2, where we get a bit of an insight into what the corporate prayer meeting looked like. Because I often wondered, what did it look like when the church got together to pray? Here, we get an insight into how the early church prayed. So what I'm about to say to you is not Nigerian. Is not Korean, but people think, oh, Nigerian, Koreans, Africans, they're so loud. It's not even American. It is kingdom. 
So we need to disconnect from cultural ideologies and cultural issues or restrictions that stop us from stepping into the true kingdom values, kingdom culture. So how did the early church pray? Well, let's look at the text again. It says, and being let go, they went to their own companion, reported it all, verse 24. So when they heard it, it says, they raised their voice. Let's read that again. They raised, their, everyone say they raised, they raised their voice. They didn't keep silence. I go to prayer meetings and I say, let's pray. You know what happens? Silence. I say, guys, I had my quiet time at home. This is not my quiet time. It's a demonic activity that causes you to shut your mouth. When you should release sound. Listen, Jesus says, when you pray, say. He didn't say when you pray, think. When you pray, say. When you pray, when you pray, release sound. And over here, they didn't release quiet sounds. They raised their voice to God. It's not just the apostles, the church. So this tells us in the corporate prayer gathering, part of their DNA was fervency. If the prayer is not moving you, why should it move heaven? If you're not bothered, why should heaven be moved? There's so many prayer meetings going on, you're just ticking the box, just going through the motions, but we are not moved ourselves. Are you bothered about what God is wanting to do in this region and how the darkness is seeking to push against that? Does it bother you that maybe you're not seeing the things that God has promised? Does it bother you that a lot of stuff going on in the South is probably just religious and there's just so many people who know the name of God but don't really have a relationship with God? Are you bothered by the fact that we're not seeing revival? I don't mean just the cliche word revival. I mean the breakout of God upon our nation and our regions. If that doesn't bother you, something is wrong with your heart connection to God. Because when you connect with God, you connect with His passion, His heart for the lost, His heart to move in regions and nations and communities. And when you connect with his passion and you start to pray and intercede and call out to him for what, because this is what prayer is, hearing the heart of God and repeating it back to him. Because in essence, that is real intercession. Let your kingdom come. That's intercession. Let your will be done. He didn't say, let my will be done. So the will of God is more important than your prayer request. Uh-oh. You could be praying for A, and the will of God is B. So God is more concerned about his kingdom. That's why he said, seek first my kingdom. And my righteousness and all other things will be added unto you. So here we see the church, they're seeking the kingdom, they're seeking the Lord, and they're facing opposition in that. And in that place of opposition, they found a place of fervency where they could lift their voices and engage in heaven. I've been in prayer meetings, I'm praying, I'm pressing in, and some people look at me and like, oh, you're, you know, why are you, why are you so animated? Why, why are you so loud? Just, just chill out. Just rest in the victory of the cross. Jesus already won the victory. It's done. You don't need to do all this shouting. You don't need to do all this fasting. Just, you know, how many heard that theology? Now, it is true 
But it's not the complete picture. <laughs> Jesus said it is finished on the cross, right? Then Paul comes and says in Ephesians that we wrestle. Jesus said it is finished. Paul comes and says we wrestle. The fact that it is finished does not mean you are finished. <laughs> the finished work of the cross is providing the current platform for the... Uh, the finished work of the cross provides the platform for the current work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is going to drive you like he drove Jesus into the wilderness. He's going to, if you submit yourself to him, he's going to drive you into some wilderness experiences. Because he's in the business of killing the flesh. But the American church seems to be in the business of making the flesh comfortable. So a lot of our preaches and our messages is all about me feeling good and me having a good time. Newsflash, God wants to kill you. He wants to slay your flesh. In fact, the Holy Spirit is in you for a reason to get out. And your flesh is often in the way. Your flesh is to the devil what your spirit is to the Holy Spirit. So he's in the business of dealing with flesh things. So when we come to the place of prayer, one of the things that the enemy tries to do is shut our mouths. Make us so self-conscious. Not to press into what he wants to do corporately. To step into what God wants to do corporately, you have to put yourself aside. You have to put your needs aside. Not that your needs are not important, but he, what he wants is more important than your needs. And the church came together and they lifted their voices in fervency and they cried out to God. And later on we read that the place where they were was shaken. When was the last time you went to a prayer meeting and you felt that sort of sense of, goodness me, this place is shaken? Because there was such potency. There was one, there was unity. The word one accord is there again. There was unity, but there was fervency. Every person was fully engaged. I go to prayer meetings, in fact, I lead lots of prayer meetings every now and then, and some people come into the prayer room, and they come into the space, and I can tell that as they walk into the space, they are not an addition to the atmosphere, they suck out life from the atmosphere. <laughs> are you an asset to the kingdom, or are you a liability? God didn't just save you for you to come to church and sit on a chair and do nothing and listen to the great man of God speak. You have a part to play in this. So if I were to come to your prayer meeting, I will be an addition. Not because I'm holding, in fact, you don't need to give me the mic. Some people think until you hold the microphone, you're not important. You don't realize that right there in the back, there's a spiritual microphone to your mouth. So you don't need to stand on this platform. Your voice is significant. Your voice is important. In fact, there is no other voice like your voice in the whole earth. So you need to release your sound and you need to make sure that your heart is engaging, engaging with God, giving Him everything when you release that sound. So point one was unity. Point two was fervency. Point three is going to be from Acts 12. So in Acts 12, Peter is about to be killed because the church is facing lots of opposition. Let's just turn there quickly. 
Okay, I'm going to finish here on Acts 12, and then we're going to pray. Acts 12:5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. This is giving us insight into the culture, what the culture of prayer was like for the early church. Peter is about to be killed because Herod killed James, and then he saw that he made him popular with the Jews, and so he seized Peter, and his intention was to kill Peter also. But the church starts to pray, and this is what we see about the way the church prayed. They prayed constantly. So if you break this down, just to think about it, it's actually quite challenging to figure out and to imagine how the church was able to do this consistently. Because if I were to ask you the question, how do you pray for one prayer request? For days and many hours on end. And the one prayer request was, Lord, set Peter free. And they were praying that constantly. And it wasn't just one person, it was the congregation, they were all, because when Peter was eventually released, he went to the house and there were people gathered, again, the gathering space. They were gathered and they were all praying and contending for his freedom. That gives us insight into something that I think is so vital that I see that's missing in many of our Western churches. You know what it is? Spiritual stamina. Many of us just want to do our two-minute prayers, our three-minute prayers. Do you realize Jesus prayed for seven hours, eight hours, maybe even ten hours, because he prayed through the night? Jesus spent hours in prayer. You spent hours on Disney+. Plus. Four hours on Disney+, Plus, and then another three hours on scrolling social media and all, you know, scroll, and, and then many hours hanging out. And then when it's time to pray, it's only five minutes Two minutes. If Jesus, listen, listen, let's think about this. If there was anyone that had an excuse not to pray, if there was any human being that ever lived that had an excuse not to pray, do you know who it is? It's Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus, the Son of God, is praying for eight hours, seven hours, and somehow you think you're okay with two minutes? My question, who are you to think you're okay with two minutes when Jesus himself is spending hours in prayer? You know why? Many of us have found a way to live life in such a way that we are dependent on the flesh, not on the spirit. Jesus was able to push in prayer. He was able to wait. He was able to seek. And we see the same culture passed down to the apostles, the same culture passed down to the early church. Like I said, I do a lot of prayer meetings. And oftentimes, you can tell the spiritual stamina in the people of God when you say, let's rise and let's pray. Because as people start to, oftentimes, if you encourage them to lift their voice, they might lift their voice and people start to pray. There might be a bit of fervency for the first one minute, two minutes. And, you know, after that, you know what happens? It just dwindles into silence and everyone doesn't know what to do next. Do you know what that's a picture of? We lack spiritual stamina. The problem with that is 
as a church, you will not carry the weightiness of what God wants to release in this region if each of you, if each of you doesn't go to the spiritual gym. Because we cannot be an army if you are not a soldier. You don't know how to pray fervently. You don't know how to pray consistently. And somehow we are going to see God move in this region. Even if he wants to move, that move will destroy us. Because we don't have the inner fortitude, the capacity to handle what he wants to release. So God is wanting to train his end-time warriors to build some spiritual muscle. So you know what that means? You need to turn off the iPad, turn off the phone, turn things off and say, Lord, I want to go to the spiritual gym and start to build some spiritual muscle. Start where you are. You may not be able to spend those kind of hours in prayer right now, but start with the hour. Maybe all you do is 30 minutes. I'm saying double it. And what if you're used to praying for an hour? Set yourself some spiritual goals. You know people go to the gym and they have goals. Set yourself some spiritual goals because many Christians have no goal at all for their spiritual development. They just want a pastor to preach them happy, give them a nice message, make them feel. In fact, and then they come to church and they say, you know what? I'm not being fed. Have you ever heard that before? Let today be the last time you ever say that. What do you mean you're not being fed? Have you lost your Bible? What do you mean you're not being fed? Have you lost your prayer life, your worship life? I've got a two-year-old and she can feed herself. You've been a Christian for 10 years and you're telling me you're not being fed? It tells me you haven't matured in your faith. You're waiting for someone to come and spoon feed you and make you feel good and make you feel happy. Pick up your Bible. Get in the face of God. Turn off the TV and turn off the phone, the social media, and say, Lord, I am here to seek you. The problem is many of us are scared of that place. Because like Leonard Raymond said, the pulpit can be a shop window to display our talents, but the prayer closet allows no showing off. So in the prayer closet, you're as naked as you can be before God. You've got nothing to impress God with. God is not impressed by your preaching, preacher. God is not impressed by your singing, singer. He's not impressed by your business skills. He's not impressed by anything. He wants you to come as you are. And many of us are addicted to platforms, addicted to opportunities, addicted to, ex- addicted to external growth while neglecting internal depth and development with God. So the prayer place... When you get along with God, you get a picture of where you truly are. So your flesh is trying to stop you from getting to that place because many people are scared of facing their reality. So I'm like, Lord, please shock me now. Shock me now. Don't shock me on the day of judgment when it's too late. Shock me now with my complacency. Shock me now with my deception. Shock me. Someone say, shock me now, Lord. And, you know, when you pray that, he's going to do that. Because on the day of judgment, you don't want to get and realize, oh, my goodness, I wasted all my time, and I had all these opportunities. This generation is so addicted to, you know, social media and all this stuff, and our attention span is getting shorter and shorter, and we can't even get in the presence of God and stay there. It's like, it's like we're just constantly needing something to make it. I was speaking at Jeremiah's conference. I said, you know, the Apostle Paul, he was in prison. He didn't have an iPhone in his prison cell to listen to Bethel music and Hillsong music. (laughs) He didn't have that. 
And you need Bethel Hills, you need all the songs to make you feel like you're engaging with God. It's a sign that your spirituality is based on external props. Let's lock you up in a prison cell and see what you really have. Then you realize you actually have nothing because you never actually face the reality of your spiritual bankruptcy. Because you never made space to get in the face of God and realize how empty you are without Him. That's why you need to create that space. Now, saying, Lord, I want to face the awkwardness. I want to face all the stuff that comes with being alone with you because my flesh doesn't want it. But that's good because God is in the business of killing your flesh. So, we leave and I finish right now, go home, and you're going to say, Lord, okay, I'm going to put this into practice. I'm used to praying for 30 minutes. I'm used to praying for 15 minutes. But Lord, I want to build my spiritual stamina. I want to be able to stay longer in your presence. Lord, my goal this week, I want to, I want to stretch that to an hour. Would you give me grace? Okay, maybe you're used to doing an hour. Lord, I want to stretch to two hours of just being with you. And see, I'm not saying spend, spend two hours with God to ask God to do what you want him to do. Oh, God, give me money. God, give me a house. God, give me a husband. God, give me this. No, 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 no. Forget about all that stuff. I'm saying you spend time with God just because you want to get into God in a deeper place. You're seeking him for God's sake only. See, this is part of how we develop stamina. So in summary, what I am sensing coming into this place for the first time is there's an assignment on this house for revival. And I don't mean revival in terms of revival services and people coming here. I mean a true move of God. But the Lord is wanting to bring spiritual responsibility to each individual in this church. And it's going to manifest in three areas. Unity, fervency, consistency, which is why I just spoke about spiritual stamina. You cannot be consistent if you have no stamina. So you need to get in the prayer gym. Saying, Lord, I feel my spiritual weakness. You see, it says, be strong in the Lord. It's a commandment. You are expected to be spiritually strong. When it talks about being weak, when I'm weak, he's strong. It doesn't mean you're spiritually weak. You may be weak in the flesh, but you're called to be strong in the spirit. That's our calling. Walk in unity. Be fervent at a heart level, engaging in prayer. And have consistency, have that inward fortitude and stamina. Do you want to stand with me? Let's pray. I would normally do an altar call, but because of another service, I'm going to hold back from that. I believe on the back of what I've shared this morning, Everyone in here, probably, if not most people in here, would have something of a simple step that you need to take on the back of this service. And if you have a sense in your heart of what that step is, the change that needs to happen, and, and what you're saying to the Lord right now is, Lord, I want to say yes to this. Because the Lord is just asking for your yes. He brings grace. Now, let me just make this clear. When you get alone to pray and you start to see God, I'm not trying to say that that process is going to be like the most exciting, explosive time where an angel shows up and Jesus shows up. And he... Sometimes it's completely boring. But listen, you have to embrace boredom as a pathway to encounter. It's boring not because God is boring. God is not boring. You're the one that's boring. 
And when you feel that boredom, just remember this message. It's your flesh crying out. It's your, it's, your, it's your flesh. That's why you're bored. That's why I am bored. It's my flesh. But I am going to stay there because there's no other way. There's no shortcut to this. It's the only way to encounter God, to get in His face, to get in His presence. So the, the response is this. If you can sense something of what the Lord is saying to you this morning and you have a response you know the Lord is requiring of you on the back of this service, and you're saying, yes, God, I want to respond, and I want this change. When I say this change, I don't mean some, some vague thing. You know what that change is as you leave here this morning. If your answer is yes, oh, Lord, I want you to just lift your hands as a sign of yes, Lord, I'm saying yes. And then we're going to pray together because I believe there's so much the Lord wants to do through your church in this region However, He's calling you to somewhere deeper, out of the cycle, the systems, the religious stuff. He's calling you to something else on a personal level. Father, our hands are up to you right now. This is no hype. This is just honesty of our... Uh, we're confessing to you our distractions, our limitations, the things that have got in the way that has made us weak spiritually, that has caused us to not have stamina. Lord, as we lift our hands to you, we're saying yes to the demands you want to place on us. We're saying yes to going to the prayer gym. We're saying yes to you working your way in us and through us. We're saying yes to fasting. We're saying yes to you coming to slay the flesh. We're saying yes to you coming like you came into the temple to turn some tables upside down. We're saying yes to you not just knocking on the door of our hearts, but coming in because we're giving you access and moving things around however you want to. As we lift our hands to you, Jesus, we are saying yes. We want you. Your arrival is revival. Your manifestation is what we're after in a greater dimension. So, Lord, we are lifting our hands before the host of heaven, before the congregation, and we're saying we want you more than religious activities. So, Father, strip us away from all the stuff, all the cultural Christianity that has blocked us from going deeper in you. We want more. And we say, Father, have your way in us. Have your way through us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this Prayer Storm podcast. For more content, find us on Instagram at PrayerStorm, all one word, and on YouTube, PrayerStormTV. TV.